Thanks for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. I'm with us a couple weeks ago. Thank you, sir. And uh, you got to meet uh, Mama Chris in all of her all of her splendor. It's really great. Last week we had um, we were down in East Village. That was a lot of fun right there. Being a, being a pipeline of Jesus in the East Village, that was lots of fun. And uh, they're meeting there every week at 6 o'clock. And uh, so, so come, uh, come for um, the scones and stay for the service. They have, they have warm, warm scones that are cooked for them. And they meet at, uh, we are meeting, they, not they, we. We meet there at, um, at Fort Calgary uh, every Sunday now. And uh, that's very exciting. So... So yeah, come on down, check it out sometime. Um, my name is Pastor Lorne, and it's great to be here today. I have a word on my heart I want to share. Um, Pastor Joanne is away. We need to remember to pray for them. They're in Santorini this morning. <laughs> Looking, and I know, aww. Yeah, I feel so bad about that. I told her, I, she sent a picture. I said, it looks a lot like Cochrane, <laughs> except for the flowers. Um, Anyway, uh, I want to I share a few thoughts this morning on, uh, on becoming, talking about discipleship, and, uh, which is the core of, of who we are. Next week, Sean Foyt is going to be with us. That's really exciting, really great, a professional worshiper, and just a great heart for Jesus, and um, really excited to, for him to be here. So make sure you bring some friends out who like worship next week, and Sean will be sharing with us. Um, <clears throat> As I'm thinking about this whole, whole thing on, um, on becoming for us, uh, so I, uh, the, the, the thing about um, when we look at our culture, this is a strange thing. Like, we are all becoming something. I find it ironic <clears throat> when we look at the way, the way media is portraying Harvey Weinstein there. Of course, you know how disgusting is that, saying what's taking place, but yet they celebrate the life of Hugh Hefner. It's a bit dichotomous, I would think. Fact is, you know, you look at, you look at someone who is publicly broken, and it's easy to get a little bit disgusted. The fact is that there's brokenness in all of us. So it's harsh to even think that there might be some form of predatorial issues at our, any of our core trying to get something for ourselves. But there's a, that part of our nature is actually fairly active. Maybe it doesn't express itself in that specific way, but nevertheless, we have, we have areas that need the Holy Spirit's presence to come and touch and restore and to heal. Every one of us does. And um, so anyway, I want to talk about that this morning, and, um, and, uh, and I just want to remind us um, about how, how our lives get changed and how we go about changing our lives. And it's a Proverbs 27 that says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And we are the product of our thoughts. You'll never change anything in your life sustainably until you change the way you think. And our thoughts are very much prophesy our future. And, get, and, and, and sometimes, and it's one of the things I, was, I met with someone who counsels people who, in, who are deeply involved in, um, in uh, really dark, helping people get out of dark areas and 
They said the hardest thing for them to do is to change the images that they have in their minds, change the pictures that come to their mind. That's why, why worship in worship, we can begin to visualize as, we, as we're sharing about how great God is, we can begin to visualize that. In a big, and that, that actually pulls us into a place of transformation. I don't, transformation is, scripturally is actually not that hard. The hard part is actually the discipline of getting our thoughts in, in line with the Lord's. And once we get those in line, we, we, our, our lives won't change to be more like His until our thoughts become more like His. And so, as we look at that, I, wanna, I want us to just, um, I want us to consider uh, the, the power and, of transformation. Take your Bibles and turn to uh, Psalms, uh, sorry, Samuel, 2 Samuel. Chapter 8, um, and I want to just, the last week we went over some um, specific issues, the core, core beliefs of our church, how that, um, like Pastor Phil was sharing, that we're to be reaching the lost, making disciples, and releasing them into their purpose and power, and John chapter 1 verse 12, we looked at that last week about, about as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. So when we, when we accept Christ, we become a child of God. It's an f- amazing thing. And then, and then at the end of, towards the end of the, the dissertations that Christ did on the earth after he was resurrected, he said, okay, so I'm going to go and now all authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. Now you go, and I want you to go and make disciples, and part of the making disciples was teaching them to obey all those things that I have taught. So we need to teach the things that Christ taught. But the second, much more important part is that we would obey those things that were taught. And that's what we talked about last week, was the difference between knowing something, knowing about something, having knowledge of something, and actually having an experience with something. And so that's what I want to talk about today. And... Um, and teaching us to obey and helping us to understand this, this whole process of becoming. I love this passage in 2 Samuel. I said 8. I meant chapter 7. Sorry. Tricked you. Chapter 7. Um, um, and and, here, and here, here's what's happening in one of the most powerful men in the world at that time. He's a world leader. He's leading Israel. He's the king of Israel. But he's actually facing, it's like, it's like we've snuck into his study while he's praying. And we get to hear the thoughts of a world leader. And here's what's in the thoughts of a world leader. And then King David went in and he sat before the Lord. And he said, who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what's my family that you brought me this far? And now, sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else you speak of giving me a lasting dynasty, do you deal with everybody this way? O sovereign Lord, what more can I say? You know what I am really like, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your promise and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have shown them to me. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. And there's no one like you. There's no other God. We have never even heard of another God like you. I love this. He is emotionally naked. Which in prayer, that's how we should be. We should be completely transparent and open and opening our heart before the Lord. And, um, and I love David's, David's specific heart. Uh, if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 18, he asked the same question again. 
This is a legitimate question that is asked over and over and over in the minds and the hearts of likely everybody here. And maybe you're asking it this morning, who am I? Where, where does your identity come from? And I've talked before about how we, our identity comes from the things that we identify with. And so David, he asks a question, and I think it's a wonderful question. Who am I, O oh Lord? But I want you to know, as important as the question is, it's more important who you direct the question to. Because if you take that question to different environments, you would, may get the wrong answer, or you only maybe get a partial answer. And, and so he, it's beautiful because he says that he went in and he sat before the Lord. If you really want to know who you are, what you're created for, and what your purpose is on the earth, you need to bring that question before the Lord. If David would have taken that question anywhere else, if he would have taken it to his father, which is a pretty good place to ask the question, his father would have said, well, you're just a shepherd. If he would have taken it to his brothers, his brothers would have had an answer. Oh, you're an errand boy. You're the guy that brings cheese sandwiches to us while we're out fighting, doing the real work. If he would have taken that question to Goliath, Goliath would have said, ah, oh, you're bird feed. I'm going to feed you to the birds. Where you take your question is as important as the question itself. If he would have taken that question to Saul, because see, he went before Saul, and Saul says, ah, oh, you're just a boy. See, so where we take the question is important. When was the last time that you sat before the Lord? You went in before the Lord, closed the door, got really silent, shut off all the voices. And rather than looking to GQ, rather than looking to a bank balance, rather than looking up to the diploma on your wall, you said, Lord, who do you say that I am? This is a very powerful thing. We are only able to become in proportion to who we see ourselves becoming. So David has a great, a great question, I think, and I love how he brings his question to the right place. He brings it to the Lord. I think it was Churchill that said, the farther back that you look, the farther ahead that you're able to see. He went in before the Lord, and he began to outline the things that had happened in his life. And he said, well, what's my family? Because he could have looked to his family to get his identity from. He could have looked back and said, I'm the son of Jesse. He could have done that. He said, look at my family. And Lord, and, and in addition to everything else, you speak of giving me a lasting dynasty. You, you speak of giving me a, 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 you've got this promise that's over my life. It's really important that not only we ask the Lord about who we are and what we're created to do, but where are you taking us? And I want to share with you a few things that I've learned about helping us to become the person that God has created us and called us to be. Um, ultimately, there's really only one answer. Uh, there's only one who has the answer before us, and I think we need to be very careful about that, and it's the sovereign Lord. How and, and the result, this is an interesting um, an interesting dialogue, and it turns out into worship at the end. How great you are, O oh Lord. We really only end up either worshiping ourselves or we're worshiping the one true God. We, we really, you know, in our heart, 
There's only two places we can likely go. And he, at the end of it, he says, you are the great one, oh God. And it's a great place to end that little prayer time that he has. The surest way to live with a mistaken identity is to seek identity outside of the identity giver. We understand that God's given us life, that's his gift to us, but then our gift back to him is giving ourselves to him. That's discipleship, that's what it is. That's our gift to God. David is bringing maximum honor and glory to God because he's following his design and he's thanking the Lord for it. I love this and I believe that, that is, that's true, true worship. I want you to turn to John chapter one and we want to look at someone in the New Testament who had a similar issue. In chapter one and verse 19, John the Baptist is questioned about who he is. This was the testimony of John when the Jewish leaders uh, sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask him whether he was the Messiah or not. And he flatly denied it, no, no, I'm not the Messiah. Well then who are you? Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Well, are you a prophet? No, he replied. Well, then who are you? This question does get asked of us. Who are we? What answer do you have? Tell us so we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? Then John replied, and he used the book of Isaiah. I want to tell you who I am. This is who I am. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Here is a clue to where we find our identity from from the word of God. This is so important. Where you take your question, bring your question to the scriptures. Lord, who do you say that I am? This is what happens to us. I don't know if this happens to you or not, but sometimes we get into this this Christian bubble and people talk about God speaking to them all the time and, um, and he does. But here's what I found in my life is that God speaks to me primarily in impressions, in concepts, in nudges, in maybe, maybe what some would call intuitive knowledge. He, he speaks to our heart. He speaks to our spirit because he's a spirit. I, he's able to speak audibly. I have not, to my knowledge, heard the Lord audibly. I've heard something in my heart so strong, it feels like it's audible. But if you're waiting for God to speak specifically in your ear, you may wait a long time. You may be among those who seems like God speaks to them audibly. But here's here's what can happen. And this is what I've found to be very true in my life. He'll speak to me by a nudge or a prompt or an impression, and then I put words to that myself. And here's the trouble you get in. If you begin to lean on the words that you've put to the impression rather than the impression. Do you hear me? Because it's really easy for, and this happens all the time among all of the crazy-ness that happens. We, we, we begin to then build our lives around words that we've given to an image or a prompting that we've had in our heart. And here's where we have to go. With anything that you believe the Lord is speaking to you about, you have to come back to the Word of God. We have to come back to the Scriptures. It would have been quite easy for John to give an answer how that, because he was, he could have answered, well, I am, who, who, who are you anyway? Well, I'm Zachariah's son. 
You may remember Zechariah, the priest. This is my, this is who I am. Or he even could have been that guy that said, I'm the cousin of Messiah. No, no, not Messiah, but I'm the cousin. He could have been that guy that says, no, I was the one that was born of a miraculous birth. Amazing story. Dad loses his voice. He's in there at his one time of the year. And he could have he used that. But instead, what did he do? He got his identity from the word of God. Here's what I, is so critical for us. Who you're becoming will be directly proportionate to your revelation of the word of God. Get all the impressions that you need. Go sit before the Lord and get all the impressions that you can. But at the end of the day, bring your impressions to the plumb line of the word of God. That's where we'll find and that's where we'll settle our identity. That's who, we're, that's who I want to become like who God says I am. And you all have opinions and perspectives and points of view, but only when we submit those to the lordship and the leadership of Christ are we able to bring them under the authority of the word of God and become who Christ says we can become. That's who we become, and that's who, that's discipleship. That's what that is. He looked where we all need to look for his identity. And at the end of the day, he said this, I'm this, I'm just a voice. I love that. I love that. I love in Luke chapter four, when Jesus had just been through one of the biggest tangles in his entire life, out in the wilderness. And many times you'll discover who you are after a significant battle. You may be in a significant battle right now. And most times, I believe, we enter into spiritual battles to reveal who Christ has called us to be. I think we end up in there. Uh, This battle for, for Jesus, it was the big one. It was all about identity. Well, if you're the son of man, well then go ahead and throw yourself off the temple. The temptation of the wilderness was all about identity. And at the end of that, he, he stands up. It was just so happened it turned out to be his turn to speak that day. And he stood up and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. But he says, because he's called me to preach the good news to the brokenhearted. Where did he get that from? He got that from the word of God. He was the living word. And he need, and here's what he did. He just reminded all those around him who he was. I just love that. And then it says he sat down. These, are, these words have been fulfilled in your ears right now. I love that. That's kind of how I preach. I look through the entire, whenever I'm looking through the scriptures for a message, I look and say, where's Christ in there? That's who we are as a movement. We're Christ-centered. We're, we're, you, you can't come to the word of God and not see him. He's, he's everywhere. He's all through it. And so that's what he did. He found his identity from the word of God. Ah, but you say, Pastor Lauren, that's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, but you're not lazy, right? What else do you got to do than discover who you are and why you're here? What's more important? Even, even Christ, the living word, found his identity in the word. You will find your identity in the word. But I'll tell you one of the biggest battles that, that you'll ever face is just getting to the word every day. Because the enemy knows that if you get into that and that gets into you, he is in deep doo-doo. He knows. He totally knows. So what will he do? He'll keep you from the word. How hard is it to find devotional time every day? How hard is that? 
No one's going to answer it because you know how hard it is. You know, right? And so they make them, they're making our devotion smaller and smaller and smaller. Like, a, right? And you get the little, the, the dial, a, dial a devotion and you go, dear Lord, really, has it, has it come to that? Listen, I just want to remind you, go ahead and be as digital as you want, but I'm just, I'm, I'm petitioning the body of Christ today to get to the word of God every day. You will settle all of your identity issues in the word of God. That's where it, that's where it gets sorted out. I, I encourage you, set a place aside, set a time aside, get up a little earlier than you feel like it, and just drag your sorry carcass in there every day because you've got a commitment to get into the Word so the Word gets into you. <laughs> it's a battle. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's herbs for that. There's caffeine for that. There's drugs for that. Legal Christian drugs. Caffeine. <laughs> Turn the coffee pot on early. But don't miss your time with Jesus. Don't miss your private time alone with the Lord. Come on. Make it a commitment. Make it, make it a, a pledge. Now, why is this important? Because the word of God is not ink and paper. The Greek word for, for this is graphe. And you can rip out all the pages you want, but it won't change the word of God. It's more than that. John chapter 6 and verse 63, it says that the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit that quickeneth and gives life. And he said, my word is spirit and it's life. When you're reading the word of God, you're drinking spirit to spirit. You got to see that. You're drinking, you're, you're taking like the best elixir ever when you take the word of God and you take big gulps of it. In, first, uh, in 2 um, Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16, I, I've been meditating on this this week. We all know 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, where it says that if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. But right before that, it says something different. Right before that, it says this. It says that we know, no one now, we know no one after the flesh. We don't make assessments after the flesh. Or we don't, know, we don't see people after the flesh. We don't regard them after the, the way the world does. We know them after the spirit. What a fascinating thing. I, I, isn't it, it's really important that you, know, you stay in shape. It's really important you look good and smell good, and that's really important. But you know there's another dimension to you that's spirit. There's not one of you in here who knows Christ after the flesh. There's no one after 35 AD that knew Christ after the flesh. It was pretty hard for those young disciples knowing Christ after the flesh. You thought, wouldn't that have been great? Oh, it might have been hard. <clears throat> Had dirty fingernails, blew his nose. Is this the Messiah? And many people said, isn't this Mary's son? They knew him after the flesh. This was an issue for people. But not one of you in here knows Christ after the flesh. But I'm willing to submit to you that just about everyone in here knows him after the spirit. You've had an encounter with the person of Jesus, not after the flesh, but after the spirit. What would it be like if we could look at other people according to the spirit and instead of after the flesh? What would that be like? What would that be like? 
for, no, for we no longer know people after the flesh. We always, we all do. We all recognize them after, in, in their worldly accomplishments and their worldly <laughs> Camaros. <laughs> Moment of silence. But just think about it. What would that be like? Do you know what you're like after the Spirit? Or do you recognize yourself after the flesh? When you, do, you, do you recognize yourself by what you see in the mirror? Do you remember yourself as that kid? I was known I, for a number of years there, uh, while you're still taking shape. Kids are cruel. Well, humanity's cruel. But were you that kid like, with the big nose? Were you that kid with the lanky arms? Were you that kid with the big ears? Were you that kid with the fuzzy hair? Were you that kid? What, after the flesh? Doesn't matter. Were you that kid that was depressed? Were you that kid? Because right now, there's another part of you who is known after the spirit and not after the flesh. This is how Christ relates to us after the spirit and not after the flesh. This is how he speaks to us. And this is why it's sometimes difficult when he speaks to us because he usually says things to us that sound better than we could ever think of ourselves. That's called discipleship, of letting go of what we think of ourselves and grabbing onto what he says about us. That's discipleship. This is, this is difficult. When we all came to faith in Christ, we had some ideas about what God was like. You've had some ideas of what Jesus was like. Are you, you've had some traditions. Are you willing to let go of those to grab a hold of new ideas and a new vision of what Christ is like, what the Holy Spirit is like, what Father God is like? Are you willing to let go of those? That's called repentance, changing the way that you think. This is, so, so what's the hard part? The hard part isn't changing. The hard part is changing how you think. The hard part is changing the image. That's the hard part. But when we, is it, it says in 1 John that when we see him, we will be like him. You're already becoming the way that you see him. If you change your image of him, you will change how you see him and you will change. The change will be effortless. The change will be easy. What will be hard is changing your thinking because that's how we're transformed. When you came to Christ, you did not have a renewed mind. That's your discipleship. That's your path. That's your work of renewing your mind. And we're all in that process right now. And it's really, really not easy. Did you know that you are an overcomer? <clears throat> like I don't know what situation you're in right now. But the way that Christ sees you, he sees you as an overcomer. Are you acting like an overcomer? Is your behavior equal to that of a continual and constant and consistent overcomer? I know what will happen is your emotions will get in the way of your image of who you're becoming. And as soon as your emotions get in control, then you lose control. Your emotions have to come under the lordship of Christ because you can no longer overcome if you don't feel like you're an overcomer. So what do you have to do? You have to take the word as truth and you have to do at least three things. I really, I really salute people that read through the scriptures in, in, in front to back. I've done it every year for about 14 years. 
But you know, reading scripture will not change you specifically, not specifically. Memorizing scripture will not change you specifically. It, it, it does some work in us, granted. But in order for the word to become flesh, you have to not just memorize it, you have to meditate on it. And you need to, after you're memorizing it, you need to visualize it. And then you need to personalize it. I just gave you your work for the next part of the rest of your life. What would it be like if the word that you read, you read it to this extent that it no longer just became paper and ink, but it became a revelation to your spirit and you begin to behave differently because that word now has become flesh. You have to take the word of God. This is work. You have to take the word of God continually over and over and in some place in your quiet time you have to begin to visualize what would life be like if I was a consistent overcomer. And once your emotions and once your attitudes start to get in line with that, do you want to know what's going to happen? You're going to live like an overcomer. It's not enough for you to just take it and say, I am this. You need to take this and allow it to become, you to become the living epistle. This is work. Memorize, visualize, and personalize. The personalization of your word. What would would life be like if this is true and functioning within me? What would it be like? So we visualize that. Um, and, and most of you understand this. This is how shopping works. This is how magazines work. They'll put an image in front of you. Anybody here notice? They'll put a mannequin in a window with a certain shape. And as you're standing there looking at that and you say, man, I look good in those jeans. I'm not the only one that does that. You all do. That's why they do it. That's why magazines work. And the more you look at it, what happens? You talk yourself into buying it. I know, I, yeah, I know I've got a 30-06 and I've got a 270, but wow, look at that 308. It's one caliber I don't have. Looking at that, and then you start, then what do you do next? I wonder if, I wonder if that comes, like I wonder if Browning makes one of those. Oh, let's look at that Ruger. Oh, what happens? You're done. You do it differently. You do it with Nikes. Or you do it with Nissans. You do it with other stuff. Are you hearing what? You know what, I, you know what I'm just talking about. It works. You do it. You say, I would look just like him if I was driving that car or her. You do it. It works. Because what you behold, you become. It's the speckled sheep at where they're meditating. They're there, they're, in, they're at the reflection place, and they become what they're beholding. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself in the mirror, or do you see yourself in the mirror of Scripture? Do you see yourself the way that your coach spoke about you, the way that your friends talk about you, or do you see yourself the way that Christ sees you? We need to become, this is, this is you and I becoming. Our beliefs, be, our, you know this, your beliefs are global, but, your, but our feelings and emotions are very individual. They, they take on e- each individual circumstance. Let me wrap up. 
Galatians chapter 6 and verse 8, if you sow to the flesh, you will reap to the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap life and peace. That's the process. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6, if your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. I don't even know what that all means. Not likely physical death, but some forms of death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there will be life and peace. My last point. I refer to Revelation chapter 2. In a couple weeks, I, I just can't wait to do this series on heaven. This, if, you, if you know of anybody that questions heaven or questions their future, this will have an incredible, bring incredible hope to your heart. Who is the true you? The truth is, there is more to you than anyone ever told you. You are currently a carrier of Christ in the world. You think you might be awesome physically? You need to check yourself out spiritually. You're beautiful and you're powerful. That's who you are. Your potential and your power and your purpose are incredible. Revelation chapter two. Becoming takes incredible courage. It means letting go of some old things and grabbing onto the new things. Becoming demands us following and we only follow if we're able to hear John 10 says that the sheep, my sheep hear, hear my voice. They know my voice and they follow. In order for you to follow, you need to hear his voice. I spoke about that generally. Specifically, his word is his voice to you. If you haven't heard an impression or you're not used to hearing him audibly, which 99.9% .9 of the people in the world aren't, you need to get into the word and let the word get into you. He speaks from his word. He speaks through his word. That is his word to you. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 17. I've, often, I love this. And whenever I read this, I'm often so encouraged. If anybody has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. He's not referring to physical ears. He's referring to spiritual ears. You all have spiritual ears. You have a, there's a spiritual part of you. It has all the same senses as, as the physical part does, only they're spiritual. He said, if anybody has that capacity, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And he says that everyone who is victorious, the NIV and the New King James say, who's an overcomer, because that's who we are, we're overcomers. We consistently overcome. To anyone who overcomes, He'll eat of the manna that's been hidden away in heaven. Wow. You ever wonder what manna tastes like? We're going to get to taste it. And then he says, and I will give to each one a white stone, and on that stone will be engraved a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. I believe a day is coming when my name will be called. And I will know his voice. And he'll call me by a name that's unknown to anyone else but me. It'll be na a name that was given to me before my birth and only revealed to me after my death. But that name will include everything that I've been created and called to be. And I'll go, that's me. Friend, you are not just who you are right now. We're all becoming. And for us to become what Christ has called us to be, we need to get our identity 
and find our footing and our grounding in the Word of God. Would you just stand with me, please, as I wrap it up? Father, I thank you today for reminding us that we're more than just flesh and blood. Remind us that we're more than just who we are and where we are right now, but we're becoming who we're created and called to be. And Lord, I call this body up to the next level, a higher level of seeing themselves in Christ today. The one who has made my, our inheritance secure. Father, I ask today that we would begin to see ourselves the way you see us, no longer after just the flesh that seems to be getting older day to day. But thank you that we can be renewed in our inner man. And I thank you that that's the one that you're releasing in and on the earth today. Father, I pray for everyone here that's wrestling with identity issues, and we all are at some points in our life. And I ask that you would speak to them by impression, by vision, that you would speak to them supernaturally, spirit to spirit, and that they would ground those things in the Word of God. I declare today, Lord, that we're becoming more and more and more like you, and especially as the day approaches. You said that when we have this hope in us, we actually purify ourselves. So I thank you for, for the purification process that's taking place this morning in your body and in your name. Amen and amen. We have a prayer team that's available to pray for you if you're dealing with any, anything you'd like specific prayer with. It's kind of hard to say anybody wrestling with identity issues, we'd like to pray for you. That's kind of hard because we all are figuring all that out, frankly. But if you've come with a certain physical need or a certain relational need or financial need, I mean, we're not, we're not handing out money, but we'll pray. <laughs> well, no, we're here to help. We're here for you to leave in a stronger place than you were before. I'm going to invite Elise and Grant to come forward. We're going to pray for them. They are, they are about to become Australians. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're moving back to Sydney for a little bit. Just come on up in the front here. We want to come and gather around you and pray for you. What a blessing. Elise came in 2010 from Australia. It's an amazing thing. And then she got, was helping out. Just face me a little bit. What a beautiful thing. She got placed into this body and we began to help her and surround her and seeing the beauty that's within her and this great creativity and the talent that she has. What a gift. And she went back to Sydney for a little stretch and then went back to, and went with the team out to Toronto to help establish that. She's had a great influence in this nation. And we're just so grateful for Grant and his time over there in South Africa and coming into the young adults and coming back and getting married and serving in the body. We just bless them. And now we pray that this next season we'd be incredibly fruitful, that you'd plant them in the house of God in Sydney. I pray, Lord, that these steps would be ordered by you. I just declare your supernatural presence over them. Lord, I thank you that well, they'll not miss your call. They're walking into their call. I thank you, Lord, for any of the anxieties and the concerns that they have in their heart, any unanswered questions that need to get answered. I bless them to go find those answers. And if they can't find them in Sydney, they should come back to Calgary. In fact, in fact we welcome them back when they're ready to come and all that happens. Lord, I thank you for the courage and the great faith that's within their spirits right now. I ask that you continue to at least great color in Elisa's life. I thank you, Lord, so the image of her walking the aisle as a bride, what a beautiful picture that was out there at the fair place. We just thank you for Grant, his heart to serve you and to serve the house of God. So we bless them, Lord. 
Thank you for their servant hearts. They've built so many. They've touched so many. Helped in groups, led groups. They thank you that they've just supported your body. And we just pray for your blessing. Thank you for their, their, uh, this gift of, uh, you said anyone who gives a cup of cold water in your name, Lord, would receive a reward. They've given hot coffee to people. That should be a better reward. Thank you for their time serving in the cafe. And we thank you, Father, that your hand is upon them and that they're going in your time in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I love you guys so much. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Good one. Thank you for being together in church. We'll see you next week. Sean's going to be here. Bring some friends that like to worship. He's, uh, he's got a great word he wants to share with us. If you need prayer, come on to the front. Otherwise, if you need to leave, go slowly. Visit some people out in the four-way. God, four, yay, God bless you. You're released. Go and change your world. Amen.